0: They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Chairman,
1: yes, if I you. may,
0: yeah. um, I've been through nine Supreme Court hearings. Is this your opening statement? It's part of it. Well, why don't you make your opening statement? Shall I? Yeah, would you please? <laughs>
2: Mr. Chairman, I asked the
3: She's a, a couple of 90-year-olds. What huh. what day is this? Oh, man. Anyway, that's uh, that's the chair of the committee, Chuck Grassley, who's 140 talking to Diane Feinstein, who's the Democrat co-chair,
4: who's 129. I heard old uh, Patrick Leahy from Vermont weigh in, quoting his boyhood, boyhood pal, uh, Thomas Edison. It was ridiculous, the two of them. It's the uh, hearings for whether or not... It's like two old guys arguing over a checkers match in a retirement home.
3: <laughs> the hearings for whether or not this guy Kavanaugh becomes a Supreme Court justice. He will. It's impossible to stop. And we're going to talk to uh, a friend of ours from the uh, Hoover Institution... Adam White coming up in just a little bit, boy. I and I I heard I was watching little Rachel Maddow. I uh, when was that yesterday? I think.
2: And she said something little that I was kind of
4: uh, demeaning. What way is she little?
2: He was watching a little of her show. Oh, watching a
3: little, I didn't I'm, just, watch, I'm I said,
2: always on the lookout for. Her.
3: You know, microaggressions, micro and macroaggressions. She's of normal, and height. medium-sized aggressions. She's too. of regular height. Okay. I remember talking to her. I yeah. accidentally insulted. She came right up to here. I think we've all learned something. Um, she said uh, because he's so anti-women's reproductive rights, and I thought <laughs> that's just that's just not fair. That's just not fair. It's not fair. Looking for fairness now, are you? (laughs) These conversations aren't doing us any good. No. To act like he's against reproductive rights. Right.
4: He is against abortion. He'll come to your home and shove a baby up into you, whether you
3: want one or not. There's a disagreement whether or not the life you should be concerned about is the baby in there. Primarily, is that a life or not? There's a disagreement. You know, read, read Wikipedia. It's been around for a while. Isn't it? But the idea that he, no, no, well, women should have no choice over having many kids they have, whether or not they get a pap smear, no, none no, of no. these things. I mean, that's just that's just a ridiculous way to frame the argument. You
4: haven't heard about Kavanaugh? He rides through the countryside with syringes full of semen, impregnating women wherever he goes. It's like the Johnny Appleseed of forced pregnancy. That's his thing. God, this reminds. me. Is this one I didn't want to do this? he changed you. Changed you to a castle wall and makes you give birth.
3: Do so I want to do this tangent here? That's as good a time as any. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court coming up. I got the on this Kim Philby kick over the weekend. Do you know who that is? It sounds vaguely familiar. No. The greatest spy in world history. Ah. Yeah. Kim Philby. Um, books, movies, lots of stuff about him over the years. He was very high up. In the British CIA, you know, their MI6. Oh, this mm-hmm. is a
2: real guy, not some sort of like James Bond spin off. No, but okay. like everything that's ever Jumps been. out airplanes. Everything
3: that's ever been done, he, he factors in somehow. I mean, because he's the greatest spy in the history okay. of spies because of how highly placed he was. He was to the very, just below the top level of the CIA in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was directly contacting Stalin himself. During World War II and the Cold War leading after for decades. Mm. he's He got many people killed, blew many covers. I mean, he's just a huge deal. Um,
4: so he was spying for the Ruskies? He was a double agent.
3: Yeah. He, oh, was, he was he was he was in the MI six for Great Britain. He yeah. joined up with the the Russians in nineteen forty. Wow. At the height of World War II, and he had direct contact with Stalin. I mean, so he Dirty was commie. he was the very top of their secret stuff. Yeah. Right in contact with Stalin and going back and forth. And um and was able to do that for decades before they finally got onto him and then in the sixties. He took off and went to Moscow and lived out the rest of his life in Moscow. Oh, we didn't get him. No, uh, and I could go
4: on and because it's
3: so damned interesting. I assume he hated
4: America like uh, Nike does. Well,
3: he he believed he believed the rosiest version of Marxism, mm. and yes, yeah, many fools have and, and and grew up an aristocrat in Great Britain and was your typical self-hating rich. You know, like you see in Hollywood, this is unfair that there are people with money and not money, even though my whole life has been fantastic because I grew up with lots of money. Right. You know, then you'll notice I'm not giving all the money away. He he believed the very rosiest things about the Soviet Union all through it. Then when he finally fled to the Soviet Union, he saw what it was like and thought it was miserable and they treated him miserably and he died a miserable man, which is kind of an interesting lesson. But there are some interesting deathbed confessions By a number of people, uh, biographers and people that worked with him and everything like that, there is some belief in the last decade or so that he was actually a triple agent. Ah! And only the very highest people in Great Britain knew that he was pretending to be a double agent and he was feeding Stalin crap to help (sighs) out the Brits. And he died a hero, even though nobody knows it, because he was a triple agent. But that hasn't been confirmed or not.
4: Spoiler alert. It's exactly like Snape. Professor Snape, Harry Potter. Oh, don't ruin
3: it for me. I'm reading right I'm reading it right now, nice. right in the middle of They've it. They've
4: been out for a while.
3: <laughs> but anyway, what got me on this, reminding me of this is a uh, one of his closest friends in the MI6 in Great Britain who then Ron Weasley. <laughs> getting back to Harry Potter. Oh. Sorry, we're on the uh, right who asked him to a hotel room in in Beirut in 1963 and said, let's have some hookers pee on the bed. We know you're sorry.
4: That's a different story entirely.
3: We know you're a traitor. I will give you we will give you full immunity. If you tell us everything, everybody who's been working with you in the Soviet Union, he acted like he was crushed. He said, oh, my God, it's all over. Yes, I will work with you. I don't want to go to jail. I just need to. Uh, I need to get back to my room, and I need to write some stuff up. And then he ran out the door, got on a ship, and went to
2: Moscow. Wow! Wow! Well, you wouldn't think he'd be. Yoink, feet don't fail me now. <laughs> yeah, you're like the Hanna Barbera pitter patter with the tires yeah. screeching. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Do you think he's coming back? <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: and anyway, that agent took a lot of crap for many, many years. God, for, i think. For allowing
4: him yeah, to do all that. All right, go back to your room for a while. That's the least I can do for you.
3: But I got to wrap this up because I don't want to use a baton. But this, I thought this was the greatest nugget from the whole story. So this agent who had brought him to the room and said, we're on to you. We know you've been working for the Russians, but we're willing to let you, you know, get your dignity back by helping us give you full immunity. He does the yoink, tire screeching, right. rides off the Moscow. But this guy said that the 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 greatest secret that he ever learned from Kim Philby, and Kim Philby, this devastated him because he was maybe the greatest ever at reading people and figuring out what side somebody was on and fooling people. Mm. Some people say he's the better than Olivier, one of the greatest actors who's ever lived in being able to fool so many people for so long, got fooled by his wife. And it was so devastating to him that his wife was able to keep a secret for from him for decades of their marriage. And it wasn't infidelity. His wife was sick a lot, and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And he, she went to all these hospitals and trying to figure out, you know, why does she keep getting sick? Turns out, he finally found out, years later, his wife had some sort of weird, whatever you'd call it, mental thing where she would inject herself with her own urine. <laughs> oh, one of those. <laughs> right! What? She was into, like, cutting and abusing herself, and it would inject herself with her own urine, oh, and it would make her a, sick.
4: That can't be good for and you. They,
3: no. It would make her sick, and they couldn't, so all these doctors, and he had no idea of this. So everybody he was able to root out is an entire career, as the right. world's greatest spy, yeah. he didn't know his wife. Was you know a crazy person doing this to herself, and that's why she was sick all the time. And it really, really troubled him that he he wasn't able to figure that out. She not interesting? She, she would like Jenkum.
4: big Jenkum fan. Huh? I
3: I know that people I say said, this all the time, but tr-
4: I can't believe that how this ended. Truth
3: is stranger than fiction. It really. I thought really you going to say? She was like a cokehead
4: or something, or <laughs> oh. or, 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 or or like liked girls better than guys. <laughs> no, or, she was injecting herself. She had a tomato garden outside of town. <laughs> Choose was a pee injector? Yeah. <laughs> what? And he had no idea. A man That's a
3: interesting, isn't it? Right. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I won't forget it.
0: <laughs>
4: I haven't. <laughs> so either the entire Constitution is about to be fed into a shredder or a perfectly reasonable fellow is about to get put on the Supreme Court. Uh, the hearing's going on in D.C. We'll talk to Adam White, the Hoover Institution, uh, about what to expect. This is gyrations.
3: If you haven't heard, Adam, he's great. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty show.
1: Armstrong and Getty,
4: the conscience of the nation. Of the nation. Strong and
0: Getty show. One of the discussions yesterday was this whole question of whether this committee is going to hear a nominee for a lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land without access to basic information about his public record. His public record as secretary to the President of the United States, staff secretary.
2: I have one message for every senator. The keys to our future and our freedoms
4: are in your hands. This okay. is no way to run a country. So,
3: <laughs> God dang it. So you got the legal stuff. We're going to talk to somebody smart about that. And then the politics of it are the only thing that's left, though, right? The only thing that there, he's going to be confirmed. So all you've got going on is the politics of it. How do you spin this for history? And what Dick Durbin was doing up there was trying to spin it of They put somebody on the Supreme Court and we had we didn't know anything about this guy because hundreds of thousands of pages of documents were not allowed to be. And you got those people. A stealth
4: candidate, if you will. Right. Yeah. Adam White joins us. Research fellow at the Hoover Institution, director of the Center for the Study of the Administrative State at George Mason University's Antonin Scalia Law School. Adam, welcome back. Always good to talk. How are you?
1: Oh, good, thanks. Just another quiet day in Washington. Oh,
4: Oh, God, help us all. Uh, So what can the American people expect from the hearings this week?
1: Well, we all remember the way that the the left's hair got set on fire when Kennedy announced his retirement and the the angst about President Trump putting a second person on the bench. And at the time, I was telling people, this could be the most politically heated uh, confirmation fight we've ever seen, even including Bork and Thomas. I have to admit, since then, it's actually been pretty quiet. Uh, things have been especially quiet through August, and a lot of us were left wondering, do the Democrats, are they just keeping their powder dry, or do they just not have any powder at all? And I think we're about to see. I mean, this morning so far, just the opening moments of the confirmation hearing have been astonishingly contentious. And maybe all of the best the Democrats are going to be able to do is complain about not receiving some documents from the Bush White House. Uh, but they're definitely trying at every turn to turn what's otherwise a pretty straightforward confirmation hearing into uh, a procedural quagmire. And it's really hard to guess what they're keeping in store for later this week.
4: Well, there's going to be the inevitable uh, what do you think of Roe v. Wade? Are you going to overturn abortion rights, etc., Try to pin him down on a number of different historical precedents or positions, that sort of thing.
1: Right. Right. We, we always think about those the Roe v. Wade, and now you can add to that the, the same sex marriage cases the Second Amendment case, the other hot-button issues.
4: Citizens United, it, probably campaign financing.
1: Well, that's the thing, is every confirmation hearing becomes sort of a timepiece for the political debates of the moment, right? When, when Roberts and Alito were getting uh, confirmed in the, the Bush years, it was all about presidential war powers. I mean, there's a lot of talk about presidential war powers uh, and and surveillance and so on, in addition to the usual fights over abortion. Uh, with Alita, I'm sorry. With um, with Sotomayor and Kagan, there was more about campaign finance, uh, right to privacy. Gorsuch got questions about religious liberty. Kavanaugh is going to get pelted with questions about presidential power. Uh, in addition to the Roe v. Wade questions, he's going to get questions about pardons and self-pardons and can you indict a president? Can you subpoena a president? All of those things. Those questions are ultimately going to take on a much larger part of the next couple of days. than I think. A lot of people would expect, and that's why the Democrats are pushing so hard on access to the the Bush administration Kavanaugh files that they haven't received yet. I mean, not just because it's a it's a salient political point, but because they're going to try to map the Bush era debates on presidential power back onto you know their allegations of what President Trump will or won't do with executive power in the face of the Mueller investigation.
3: Why why haven't those papers been been seen?
1: Well, first of all, most of the papers have been seen, right? The Bush Bush administration and the lawyers coordinating all this have disclosed hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. The ones that are being held back, the argument is these are questions of core executive power in the Bush administration, deliberations over core presidential actions, including judicial uh, appointments, things for which President Bush uh, was entitled to, uh, to, 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 to secrecy, in the executive branch's deliberations, presidential executive privilege is a long-standing privilege for shielding documents from release. Now, there's always sort of a give and take, and of course, the Bush uh, the Bush files, most of them have been for Kavanaugh have been released. And then there's questions about with Kavanaugh in his job in the Bush administration as staff secretary, where basically all the paper that reaches the Oval Office crosses his desk. The question is, how much of a document is really relevant? To Kavanaugh's own judgment, if all he was doing was playing traffic cop and making minor notes on documents, uh, these things that need to be disclosed in the face of the executive branch's own interest in privacy, and that's an executive prerogative that goes not just to Republican presidents but to Democrats.
3: Well, you're yeah, your your wheelhouse is law, and you're an expert at that. But God, so much of this is the the politics of it. My guess would be in that reality. Democrats don't want that stuff released. They want to be able to yell that it wasn't so they can claim we got some sort of you know mole on the Supreme Court. This is how
4: dangerous Trump is. and I would suggest they think they would win either way. Your point is a good one, Jack. Also, it's conceivable that somewhere in those hundreds of thousands of pages out of the 1.4 million or whatever I keep hearing different numbers that have already been released that he'll sign off on. yeah, I think uh, there's a right to kick puppies. I think puppy kicking is uh, one of our sacred rights as Americans, and then they can trumpet that. So, you know, it's, it's they're looking for some sort of smoking gun that he's a and soulless it, and it, monster.
1: And it never ends. No matter how many documents released, there's always going to be demands for more. Even in full disclosure, there's then questions about, well, we need to ask more questions about this issue. We need to interview more people about this. There's always more, more, more. And the question just is. Yes, we're confirming a judge to a lifetime appointment, and we all know how important that is. We've been on both sides of the table of this in the last 10 years, Republican presidents and Democratic presidents, Republican Senate's Democratic Senate's. The question is, how much information do you need to have a good assessment of Kavanaugh's uh, uh, inclinations and principles as a judge? He's written hundreds upon hundreds of judicial opinions. He's written more law review articles than most judicial nominees ever do. Uh, for the no, no, nominees for the Supreme Court. It's not hard at all to see where Kavanaugh's going with this. It'll be interesting to watch the Democrats try to have it both ways. On one hand, they're going to argue that Kavanaugh is clearly some sort of right-wing Trumpian radical or something. On the other hand, they're going to say, oh, we don't really know who Kavanaugh is. Right,
3: right, right. We don't know who he is, but what we see we don't like. Um, so since he's going to be confirmed, let's say, a lot of 5-4 decisions last year, let's say the ball's at the 50-yard line. Does the, does the Is the ball getting moved to the right, and how much by Kavanaugh joining the Supreme Court?
1: Well, I don't think there's any, there's, there's no real doubt that, that Kavanaugh is going to help continue the court shift to the right in a few ways. Set aside Roe v. Wade and those questions for now, just on basic questions of administrative law, the structure of the administrative state, Kavanaugh has been, uh, like Gorsuch, a lower court judge asking questions—the same sorts of questions that Justice Clarence Thomas has been asking, questions that Chief Justice Roberts, even Justice Kennedy, who we're replacing, uh, those sorts of those sorts of questions about the administrative state. Kavanaugh will continue those calls for reform. I suspect. I also think that Kavanaugh, setting aside whether Roe v. Wade will ever be overturned or anything like that, I think Kavanaugh's appointment will help end the expansion of the, the rights to, to abortion, rights to same-sex marriage. The one thing the Democrats could always count on with Justice Kennedy was he was going to always continue to expand those rights to same-sex marriage up until his last opinion of the Masterpiece Cake Shop, uh, the Baker case out of Colorado. Interesting. The left, yeah, the left was always counting on the court, the Supreme Court to reliably expand those rights. And whether or not the court contracts those rights, and frankly, I, I doubt they will, Uh, The court will at the very least uh, cease to be this reliable expander of these preferred constitutional rights. The left just can't get through the political process.
4: Adam White, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, director for the Center for the Study of the Administrative State at George Mason University's Anton Scalia Law School, a title that has entirely too many pronouns in it. Uh, Adam, (laughs) uh, in conjunction, Adam, thanks a million. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, always. Yeah, sorry, we're out of time, but uh, good stuff.
3: I was trying to remember all our great terms: Kavanaugh uh, knowledge,
4: oh. Kavanaughoscopy, looking into his record.
0: <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshal? Well, the Kavanaugh hearings themselves up to a rocky start. Angry Democrats and shouting protesters. Yes, we love that sort of thing, huh? It's making
4: me Kavanaughious. You're listening to the
3: Armstrong and Getty Show. To hear some clips from Marshall, the 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 opening of the Kavanaugh hearings to get a new Supreme Court justice, and you know, I like I like Adam White we had on talking about the the law as much as he could, but it's all about the politics, man. It's all about the politics of do do we look like we fought hard enough to our base, even though we have no
4: cards to play. Here's the way I'd handle it if I'm the Democrats. I really lean on the uh, executive power stuff. Now Kavanaugh is in favor of protecting um, presidents from being prosecuted and persecuted and sued and the rest of it. Because like Ken Starrant, who I read a big piece uh, by over the weekend, virtually everybody who was involved in the whole Clinton investigation said, this is a terrible law. This is a terrible system. We shouldn't be doing this, which is really kind of interesting. But so he's against the whole special prosecutor suing presidents thing. They will portray that as another step toward Trump becoming Hitler and, and ruling the country like a monarch and uh, get people out to the polls in the midterms. And then 2020, that's their strategy.
3: And screaming and yelling from the get-go about various things to show look, we're fighting. We're not just right. gonna let this process right. happen easily, which is you know purely a political move. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips.
0: Well, as you were saying, the hearings for the Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh are off to a rocky start in the Senate. Republican Chuck Grassley's opening statement interrupted by California Democratic Senator Kamala Harris. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as associate justice, Mr. Chairman, I'd Supreme like to be Court, recognized for a question States. before
1: we proceed. The committee received just last night, less than 15 hours ago, 42,000 pages of documents that we have not had an opportunity to review.
3: You're out. You're out of order. And, what, and what's what's great about that is, so you got Kamala Harris interrupting the thing nine words in. Right. And you know the most upset person in that room was probably Cory Booker, fellow Democrat.
1: Damn it! Who's saying, oh man,
3: I got my spiel ready to go when it's my turn. She jumped in. She's going to be the headline this hour's top of the hour newscast. Damn it! Because they're battling each other to try to be the fighter that should run against
0: Trump.
4: Who's the
3: young
0: non-white
4: rock star of the Democrats? That's the
3: interesting politics here.
0: And nearly every Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee is trying to delay the proceedings or claiming Republicans are withholding documents on Kavanaugh's background. Meanwhile, you got protesters By continuing. the way, reams,
4: reams, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of documents were held back in exactly a uh, similar fashion during the Kagan nomination. So I just, oh motley, my God, motley, motley, it's such a yeah. dog and pony show. You're you're pointing out facts.
3: Uh, no time for that. All right. Um, we all Fair enough. we all take in our own Dad, media. Get the dogs. Put them back
4: in their kennels. That <laughs> pony number one is flea bit and get it back.
3: <laughs> you put it in its stall. We all take in our own media, and so the 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 MSNBC story all day long will be. You know, the clips from whoever arguing that we don't even know who this guy is. The
4: Kavanaugh cover-up.
3: Yeah, that sort of thing. And and, and people will will believe that and and only hear that part of the story and get motivated. And it's just the politics of these things are so deep and complex and... And stupid, <laughs> and,
0: and not good for anyone.
4: Boy, democracy is a terrible idea. It, it really is. Hard to imagine a worse system.
0: And on top of all well, this, protesters continuing to interrupt the proceedings as well. I would, uh, I would respond. I would, I would respond to uh, the uh, uh, issues be- brought oh, up by Senator Durbin about confidential <laughs> documents.
4: Say, so where's where's Captain Zappity when you need him? And I hate to engage in ageism,
3: but the, the two chairs sound ancient.
4: With age comes wisdom, Jack.
3: Name any other realm of your life where you'd put two people who sound like Diane Feinstein and, and Chuck Grassley yeah. in charge of it. Anything else in your life that you'd put them in charge of? Doesn't mean they can't do it, mm-hmm. but honestly, tell me, where else... Are, pe- are people who sound like that
4: that age in charge of anything? Can you imagine a private business where the only question is who's been there the longest? Right. Oh, There's yeah. no meritocracy about it whatsoever. There's no bringing in the guy or the gal who turned around X Y Z. None of that. Purely seniority. The guy that the the, the uh, you know the the guard, the uh, security guy, who's been there for forty five years. He's the CEO automatically.
3: Be honest, though, everybody. Be honest. It may, maybe it sounds mean for me to say that. If you went to see a lawyer today, you got a real estate deal, and you went to see a lawyer, and it sounded like either Chuck or Diane, you'd think oh, I need somebody younger.
4: You know, you would. We need to establish the. Uh, you know, you would say, I property. need somebody younger.
3: I need somebody who's only sixty-five.
4: And uh, the uh, what's the term? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mortgage. The mortgage. It's just interesting. (laughs) Yeah.
0: USA Gymnastics CEO, Kerry Perry, resigning now under pressure after just nine months on the job. Perry's set to step down today, apparently forced out over a lack of action over the Larry Nassar sexual abuse scandal that has rocked that organization. And should.
4: Well, well, I mean, if she's only been in the gig for nine months, we've been hearing about this for longer than that. Was she part of the uh, apparently the follow-up, the cabal? Uh, apparently, the
0: follow-up okay. not strong All right. enough. All right. New head of the uh, new head of NASA, Administrator uh, Jim uh, Bridenstine, is interested in bringing some privatization to the space agency, so he's created a committee to look at the feasibility of commercializing operations in low Earth orbit to lower costs. The privatization steps could include having astronauts do product endorsements. Yes. Or selling the naming rights to rockets and other spacecraft.
4: Hmm? The Nike moon mission, for instance. Is there a
0: reason I
3: shouldn't want astronauts to do endorsements? I can't think of it.
4: It's a little odd, but... I mean, as long as it's, you know, reasonable... You know, look at this pen writing upside down. I remember they used to do yeah. it when they came back from space right. Right. and Tang. were no longer Tang. in the gig. Yeah, yeah the they Powdered are. orange juice. Right. Ugh. Gross. Hey <laughs> national treat. Well, I liked it as a kid, probably because yeah. yeah. it was sugar water. <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation.
4: I, d- I doubt they would, like, not go to one crater or another. In the name of Gillette razors, you know I don't think they would probably alter their mission
3: <laughs> or or cover up Martian beings, <laughs> right? Because Nike told them to.
4: Now the chairman of the corporation really doesn't appreciate uh, uh, foreign life forms, <laughs> uh, extraterrestrial life forms. He's against them, so we're going to ask you to soft that. Uh, All right, uh, <laughs> I doubt it.
3: So there's a big get together of uh, of minds to talk about politics and. Old Steve Bannon was invited, and people went crazy, and now he's not
4: invited, and we should talk about that, because I may pull all of my hair out by the end of 2018. <laughs> Every single wisp of it you he wow. gonna reach up and pull out my nose hair.
3: All the hair on your head or just your
4: entire body? All of it. Leg, wow. arm, <laughs> wow. All of it. Eyebrows? Oh, uh, they'll be the first to go. Here. Just as a show of my horror at the modern world.
3: <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Armstrong and
4: Getty. The conscience of the nation. <laughs>
3: Today's the unofficial end of summer. We're in serious time now. That's right. Messing T- around take over. Take off
4: those flip-flops and put on some hard shoes with laces.
3: Wear a shirt with a collar. Start paying attention to what's going on in the world. Or b- Get off your jet ski and read a newspaper. That's a little it's a paper thing they put news on. They print a website for some reason. <laughs>
2: yeah, what know. is that? the olden days? I don't, know, I don't know, why know. They print out
3: the news. Anyway, talking about... Um, Astronauts and, and whatnot, apparently they're gonna be able to have sponsors and do endorsements, yeah. That's fine. Tell you what, you got
4: like your uh your uh you know what I don't
3: if Nike sponsors a space mission, will they insist on removing the flag from the moon?
4: Oh huh? my god, America haters It's that what you want. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about that, the Colin Kaepernick thing earlier, if you missed it. I, I think it's a cynical and, and ugly move by Nike.
3: Just, Choosing sides is where the money is. Why we haven't done it, I don't know. Every indicator is that the quickest way to wealth is to pick a side and go
4: and just flog your your yeah. point of view. Yeah, and no matter, never what. admit anything. The you know on the other the, the side of the ledger as either right. the
3: resistance or being uh, on the Trump side. A lot of Hitler references, of course. <laughs> <laughs> doing what you do. There's there's nobody doing that to, to profit. So why we stick with it, I have no idea. Stubbornness.
4: Stupidity. I don't know. I actually was thinking over the weekend. I, I like thought, doing the show. I love doing it. It never gets old. It's like humiliating Jeff Sessions. It's just <laughs> always fun. How dare you? And we'll get to that eventually, I suppose. I, I Trump like, said something outrageous. Did you hear? Yeah. <laughs> ah! <sighs> I know. I know. You know, and
3: if you take a break from it, like a lot of you normal people probably do, we we can't get-
4: on your jet skis, which it's time to get <laughs> off of now. Uh,
3: if you take a break, a break from the Trump stuff, I had too much personal life stuff going on to pay attention to the news cycle for good, like
4: three days. Good for you. And it
3: just you you don't you don't miss anything. You don't miss anything. You miss the daily. Why we're mad at each other. The specific thing we're going with, whether right. it's Nike or the Trump uh, McCain's funeral or whatever. But the over the, the the tectonic plates are still exactly in the same
4: spot. Mm. And so you don't miss anything. Yeah. Interesting. I spent most of the weekend in the woods, literally splitting and hauling firewood, just working till I was exhausted. And be, I a, a lot that can't of it the... be good for you. A lot of the bitching about this funeral and that eulogy and and the rest of it, I I was dimly aware of. But I thought, huh, that's interesting. Then I went back to trying to split this big old oak log, which is more than my little linguine arms could do. So anyway, yeah, I I hear you. I completely hear you. So we talked about the Colin Kaepernick thing. Nike, please, Nike, with your believe in something, even if you have to sacrifice everything. Their stock has dropped this morning. Uh, the announcement of the campaign. Well,
3: it, it could not work out. It's possible that they calculated wrong. Yeah. But my only point is, they made a calculation this was going to make them more money. It's not...
4: You don't uh, think they threw themselves into the, the ideological fray, regardless of what it would do to their stock and their yeah. shareholders? And
3: their- I don't think the CEO and all the people in the room making the decision said, I don't care if this hurts us. It's what's right, damn it. I don't, I don't think that is no? what happened.
4: Wow. That's too bad. But so, listen, the uh, Washington Post, of all things, has... A really uh, interesting, amusing, surprising piece—not as surprising as Jack's spy story of earlier. If you're listening to that, but quite the ending to that. Nonetheless, (laughs) surprising. So, one of the big stories of the latter part of the '70s was Gary Gilmore, who was a a horrible murderer. Yeah, I read the
3: book "Executioner's Song" by Norman Mailer.
4: Exactly. Yeah, one of the uh, great—you know—works of that part of the 20th century. Um, it brought back capital punishment in the United States. Yeah, So, but he was convicted of murdering gas station employee, a motel manager in Utah the year before, um, and he became the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Firing squad. Well, right, exactly. and uh, And he was fine with it. He was one of those guys, stop the appeals, I'm guilty, you're going to off me, off me. And in fact, he was asked if he had any last words as the firing squad was standing there, and he said, let's do it. Those were his last words, and he did not flinch when he was executed. Well, in 1988, Dan Wyden, advertising exec who co-founded a big agency in Portland, made something of a morbid pitch to Nike. Now, Nike was struggling in 1987. I remember, nobody knew, knew if it was Nike or Nike, for instance, and they weren't keeping pace with the fitness approach of, like, uh, Reebok, among other brands, Reeboks were huge, and but but that
3: yeah okay. But That's anyway, fashion. It's but, it's, um,
4: a, it's like a gazelle. Did you know that Jack the Reebok? It's an animal. Yeah, the whole uh, what was it's that? not what this story is about. Aerobics. Yeah, they were big with the
3: aerobics shoes, and yeah. aerobics was the hot thing back then.
4: But so, um, like Gary Gilmore, oddly enough, Widen, this uh, ad exec guy, Portland native, he remembered the crimes in the ending, and he said in a tw- thousand nine documentary, Art and Copy that he looked toward the phrase, do it, and used it as the inspiration for his pitch to Nike. Now, they obviously changed it to, just do it? Um, But seemingly, everyone he ran the slogan by hated the idea. I went to Nike and uh, co-founder Phil Knight and said, "Uh, we don't need all that S. I said, just trust me on this one. And so they said, yeah, okay. And so, just do it became their slogan, but it was inspired by Gary Gilmore, weirdly enough.
3: That I didn't know. Yeah. How so about Re- that? I don't hear about Reebok as much. Maybe they should, uh, if they could get <sighs> who's the Christian guy trying to play baseball? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. They could sign up Tim Tebow. God wants <laughs> you to. A lot wear... of
4: Christian guys trying to play baseball, Jack. It's a popular <laughs> sport,
3: especially among Hispanics. Right. Uh, God wants you to Some wear... Some of them are
4: actually named Jesus. You got they t- pronounce it Jesus.
3: Yeah, Tim Tebow in a collar with a Bible. Reebok. God wants bible. Wear, God wants you to wear Reeboks. Right. right. That's how they go back at Nike, and then the battle ensues.
2: Wow. Because yeah. <laughs> when you're trying to court the youth by, you want to bring in religion. <laughs> Re
4: bible bock Bi- <laughs> Go back to the Bible. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm working. I'm getting there. Uh, shortly thereafter, one of the first ads in 1988 for Just Do It featured an 80-year-old marathoner in San Francisco. That was a
3: good. That was a good ad. Campaign. It was a great
4: ad. Yeah, good, good campaign, and you know, uh, et cetera, et
3: etc. You know what I think? Nike. It, it, it's it's all fashion. I mean, you can you can think it's your slogans, but I think you got the right color and style for the whims of fashion that nobody can predict. I think that's what happens
4: a lot. Yeah, some of it. Although I think Just Do It was a great oh, sure. slogan. No doubt about I it. I remember when it came out and me. You know, as a young lad, let's see ladies. So I was kind of like post my athletic career, and, and I would think it, for God's sake, just do it, and it would to work out.
3: My favorite all-time Nike ad was they used uh, the Beatles Revolution. I thought that was a great ad with John McEnroe. Mm. That was probably early 90s. And then Bo Jackson was huge with the Bo Knows This and Bo Knows That, yeah. doing all the different stuff.
2: There's... Like fashion just doesn't exist in the abstract though. The way that you form your marketing campaigns really does influence the way that people see it, right? Like the kind of what you were saying with the, the Bo Jackson and the biggest indicator was the, the I want to be like Mike stuff. Like yeah. when, oh, when yeah. they made Michael Jordan the face of their, their. Their company, and that was you know in the mid '80s or or you know when they were struggling, and that that was a huge game changer. You know, he was the Michael Jordan made bald cool. You know, he wasn't doing the afro stuff. He shaved his head. He had the earrings in. By that, the way, that image was very much tied to Nike. As a bald
3: guy, I'm following this trend pretty big. uh The hipsters are already on it, and it's the being regular male pattern baldness is coming back among the oh, cool. It's back among <laughs> the super cool. Yeah. Wow! They're just having the ring of hair around here and bald on top wow. is, is making a huge comeback among the, the hipster crowd. What's old is new. Yeah, so I might, I might, might try it myself. Huh? Look like a guy from the '60s, but that's yeah. I think you look kind of old. Well, d- well, whatever. Old is not in. <laughs> old is out, man. <laughs> what time is it? Time to talk about
4: other stuff. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.